interesting. My name is... Oh, I did it wrong. <laughs> Welcome to Everything Is Interesting. My name is Justin Blizzard. My name is Keith Krepka. Um, I watched some of the World Cup today. So did I. Mm-hmm. At work? With my boss's permission. Oh, you did? Sanctioned. Wow. I had to use my phone as a hotspot and then use your Verizon login to watch it through the ESPN website. How do you even have that? From the HBO. Sicko. From HBO. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, any thoughts about what you saw? or? Um, well, I, I feel like I don't think it's totally fair because it's a little bit of anomaly where, like, first of all, I thought the Team USA looked terrible, right? Yeah, like... Like back in Ghana, like, they looked were... like they looked like a bunch of five-year-olds playing soccer against a bunch of like eighteen-year-olds, <laughs> and like they never got the ball, they never really had possession of the ball, they never they were really running had into any each control other. of the game. <laughs> yeah, and then and then also like and then I start picking up on like how the announcers are talking about like how this game kind of really doesn't matter at all. And for about like five minutes, it did when no, when it, the score was tied of the other game, but then it was but then it was like Portugal, I guess, went up two one, and then it was just like this game doesn't matter anymore. Well, yeah, it, that was the last twenty minutes. You know, yeah. once once Portugal went up, because then Ghana would have had to score two goals in like ten minutes. So yeah, that's when it stopped mattering. But I think it. You know, it mattered for a good portion of it. But, but e- even even so, I just don't... Just that idea kind of stinks. You know what I mean? It's like, like I could... Like, I'm not watching any of the NBA Finals games thinking, like, this game doesn't matter at all. Like, like the, the, the outcome of this game is ultimately determined by the outcome of another game that's going on. Like, Well, eh. after this, it's the knockout round. Yeah. So it's losing a home. Right. Yeah. But that a lot of that is dependent on how another team is doing. You know, it just seems like well, not anymore. Getting to that right, but it it really just sort of deflated the game. And like I wasn't really watching it because I was doing just like data entry, so I just had my headphones in and I was kind of listening to it. Mm-hmm. And then anytime like the announcer's voice would ramp up, I'd like look at my laptop and see what was going on, which ultimately was pretty much nothing. Because the game ended at zero to one, <laughs> but I mean, you know, there's there one thing that actually really stuck out to me as much um, crap as soccer gets for like unsportsmanlike conduct, mm-hmm. which I think very well deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a moment where one of the USA players went down because he got hit in the nose. Yeah, which I th- um, which I watched the replay on, and it still looked a little questionable to me whether he actually got hit or not. Um, you're talking about um, well, th- that was Dempsey, he, right? Who has a broken right? He nose. has a broken nose, right? So, but any, when they're showing the replay, like it didn't look like anything had hit his face at all. To me, that's how it looked. You do have glasses, full <laughs> full disclosure. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. but anyways, um, and so he went down, and and so Germany, um, and Germany had possession of the ball, and so they just kicked the ball out of bounds, right. and, and then, then USA US, gave it back to Germany once they were able to check their guy out. So that was like, like I don't think you would see that in any in any other sport. Yeah, that, and that's kind of standard soccer practice, right? To kind of like kick the ball back. Yeah, so and, that's that stuck out to me. I thought that was you know a nice display of sportsmanship. So a uh, quick transition to displays of sportsmanship. Yeah, the actual, the real story of the World Cup. Suarez. Yeah, 
Here, here's my quick take on it that I kind of wanted to, to float to you. <clears throat> and we haven't, we haven't talked about this before. So here's my theory. Not knowing Suarez or whatever, my assumption about him just based off of hearing that he's a biter is that he comes from money. That that uh-huh. is <laughs> such a rich response to being frustrated. Really? Yes. That he would get frustrated and his like reaction would be to bite somebody. Yeah. Like that could just be a very classist, you know, idea for me, mm-hmm. but I just have a feeling like you know, if you come from the streets of kicking a deflated soccer ball around and you get frustrated, yeah. You're like stomping somebody's throat in. You know, you're not biting them. Like yeah, I think I see it more as like a I obviously a sign of like immaturity. Like he can't because he comes from he's a rich I, pamper. But see the first thing you think of is like what's the other infamous biting moment in sports history. You you have to go Mike back to Mike Tyson. Oh, I was going to say Mike see. Tyson literally ate somebody else's ear, right? Like well, he spit it out. Well, he chewed well, he chewed, chewed he it. chewed it off. Yeah. Like he completed at least half the act of eating, <laughs> right? And he didn't come from money. Well, he was in the midst of money. Yeah, that's true, but I mean I just I just feel like that is that seems like the response of somebody who's been pampered their life maybe and and here's the other thing he's a serial biter then now that's what gets me mike mike tyson was a was a spur of the moment i'm losing i need i need something also in a match where you're supposed to harm the other person and he has basically pillows tied to his hands like he can't (laughs) reach out and choke him you know his hands are are tied yeah in so all right so do you think his um suarez's punishment is fitting yeah he's suspended for six games or something nine games four months he's done he's out of the world cup absolutely did you hear his quote afterwards no his quote was that i read these things happen what things you biting people happened like that he he acted like it's just uh you're going to encounter this if you play against me i will bite these (laughs) things happen i can't help it you know and and this is an outsider's view of soccer. It doesn't strike me as that odd for soccer. Like the highlights that I see, and like I'm saying, it's a very limited scope that I have. But all of the highlights, I I've never, literally, never watched a soccer match until today. And the only thing I've ever seen of it is one after another guys flopping on the ground pretending it just is a seems very immature and it seems very manipulative so i don't see like a reason why like this is so like out of the ordinary well here and and here's my reaction it kind of ties into that my perception of soccer again somebody who watches the world cup i am one of those bandwagon people but if you literally do anything every four years like if you do a marathon every four years I may actually sit down and watch an entire marathon right. just because it's like, oh, this thing only happens every four years. I might as well tune in. Yeah. Um, but the whole sport of soccer, I feel like, like, didn't the idea of like the popped collar kind of start with soccer players? I feel like like Ronaldo for Portugal mm-hmm. has this, you know, like image of the popped collar, mm-hmm. the like 
babied, you know, superstar, the flopper, you know, and like I I was following the Portugal Ghana live tweet from mm-hmm. uh, or live blog from the New York Times, and they posted like a tweet, and one guy was like, you know, Ronaldo rolling on the ground, it's all very operatic, you know, like yeah. he's he's a performer out there. I feel like the whole sport of soccer has that kind of veneer of. I imagine that you know if you pan the crowd, you're going to see a lot of popped collars and money, like people who've flown into Brazil to support you know the soccer team. Mm-hmm. It just feels like the sport is full of rich, pampered yeah. individuals, and full of them, you know. And so that's why, yeah, biting doesn't seem too odd to me. Yeah, because I I just think everybody in the sport of soccer is like a rich pampered mm-hmm. baby yeah you know knowing that that's not fully true i know that it's a popular worldwide sport people play it you know at the bombs of mountains and wherever they can get enough field to play yeah. but when you see suarez and ronaldo and people like that it just turns me off to the whole sport because i'm like you know biting wouldn't even be it, it would be like a showstopper you know, and this guy's bit somebody three times. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what's strange. Any to other me. sports, like, and I think that, but I think that also speaks to like how a lot of these athletes get a pass, anyways. Like, like, like this guy's bitten somebody three. Like, this is his third time biting somebody. Like, at what point do you just kick him out of the sport? You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, um, Ron Artest or Meta World Peace. You know, he like started a brawl like between hundreds with of fans, people, more right. or less, with fans. And and I'm not. And the the fan, you know, was being a total like jerk by all you know accounts. But at the same time, it's like. And then later on, he's back in the league. Like you know, you have players in the in the. Um, I think it was the finals this year where like Zach Randolph like just straight up like punches a guy in the jaw. <laughs> like they're running <laughs> yeah. down court. It's like. Like, like, at what point do you do you take harsher action against this? You know what I mean? Like, like I said, this guy's bitten somebody three times now. Like, I don't think suspending him for the rest of the World Cup is really going to matter that much to him, to be honest. Like, maybe it will. Maybe that's I don't you know I don't know what his punishment has been in the past. But, but it's biting like, also seems pathological. I mean, uh, to me, what are you gonna do? Well, to especially the guy? if you've done it three times. Are you gonna make him wear like a Hannibal Lecter mask? <laughs> you know, when he when he's out there playing, like, you know, you know, the dude's gonna do it again. I just feel like soccer needs to create an atmosphere where they won't put up with flopping anymore. Yeah, and they won't put up with people like that. Sure, you know. But I feel like soccer is really permissive of their athletes to like flopping is okay biting all right three times now we need to sit you down and and sit, sit you out of this thing but i love too if you watch the video his flop afterwards did you see where the guy like yeah responds mm-hmm. and like he pretends to he get hit over. and he yeah. falls over it's like you just bit a, yeah. an adult <laughs> you just bit an adult and now you're flopping on the ground right. like this guy is out of his mind yeah you know I just love to think about him being on like a basketball court yeah, and doing that same yeah. thing. And really quick, I guess to, to tie this up, who would, if there was somebody who would bite on a basketball court, who do you think that would be? Hmm. 
besides Jeff Van Gundy, if he got to coach again, <laughs> I could see him biting a, a player. Um, no, I don't, my wife just said Birdman from the background. I don't think so. I think he's. I think it, would, it would have to either be like a like a. A sniveling... I think if anything, Birdman is capable of like a last Boy Scout, like just pulling out a gun in the middle of the game and shooting <laughs> everybody. <laughs> right? Um, I, you know, my first thought immediately was, and this was just because he had such a bad performance in the finals, is Mario Chalmers. Like, Chalmers. I can imagine Chalmers biting somebody, especially with as bad as he was playing in the finals. Well, especially with the last name, so ready yeah, for yeah, Chompers. Exactly, right? <laughs> Mario Chompers. Yeah. That's a good one. I guess I would say going back, I mean, Dennis Rodman seems to be like the, yeah, Or Bill Lambeer. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Remember Bill Lambeer when mm-hmm. we were kids? That guy could see him, yeah, biting somebody. Yeah, but I think his would be a lot more calculated. Did you watch The Bad Boys 30 for 30? I didn't watch it. I, I honestly, until you said that, I think I... That's something that was circling. Mm-hmm. I need to watch. Yeah, because it's good. We grew up with it, right? It's I mean, narrated by Kid Rock. Oh, what? Yeah. But I'll say this. It's so good that by the end of it, you almost forget that it's Kid Rock narrating. Does Kid Rock compare them to the spirit of Detroit? Does that phrase come out of his mouth? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. But it's good. I enjoyed it. Because if he does that, I feel like he does that for everything. Anytime I hear Kid Rock talk, well, that's the like that's the going line for Detroit now. Any exactly. day, anyways, it's just as like Chevy's you know, like the spirit. Every, of Detroit. Yeah, everything. If you're from Detroit, it gets compared to the Coca Cola is like the spirit of Detroit. <laughs> My music, it's like the spirit <laughs> of Detroit. Yeah. Well, what's not like the spirit of Detroit? This is podcast the, is this podcast. It's down and it's staying down. Right. We're not getting <laughs> We're back We're never up. coming back. And we were never, we never had anything to come back from to begin with. We were just gutter from the beginning. We're just an open prairie. <laughs> we're never going to be anything different. Yeah. Um, we've got a, a little bit of a different uh, show today. We're going to be talking about the upcoming TV show on HBO called The Leftovers. Um, it's based on a book. It starts this weekend on the 29th. Yep. Um, So we'll talk about that for a little bit. After that, um, we're going to take a break and we will come back. And we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Twitter. Kind of Twitter, what people use it for. Maybe what we think it should be used for. Who are we to say? That's true. Why it works, why it doesn't work. Um, And then... We'll take a, a final break and we'll come back with our recommendations and we'll uh, close out the show. Um, but we're going to take a, a quick break and we'll come back with the leftovers. talking about the leftovers but we're doing something a little different um we are we've got a second podcast going that is called everything left over 
and it's going to be a weekly um, discussion on the show, The Leftovers, right? The Leftovers? Yep. Right. Um, so we're going to record this just as a, a regular episode. Um, we'll release it in both feeds, and then once the show starts on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, we will record either Monday or Tuesday night, and we'll have something out by Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on when we record. We haven't set it in stone yet, but we'll have something out before the next one airs. Um, so for now, we wanted to talk about our expectations for the show, um, what we think going in, maybe is what w- what we expect it to be like, um, maybe what we want out of it. Um, I have not, and, and we're, we're approaching it differently. Uh, we had this idea a while ago when they announced it, and we decided to go two different paths. So Keith has read the book. Um, you've seen the trailers, right? Mm-hmm. You've been following the news. Have you yes. read some reviews? Yeah, I actually read one today talking yeah. about the first few episodes. Okay, and I have not... I I'm a I'm a, I'm totally blank. I haven't read the book. I haven't watched the trailer. I know that it's um you know being headed up by Damon Lindelof, who did Lost. Who did Lost? Um, Prometheus. Wrote Prometheus. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But that's where we're coming from. Um. So I'll go to so so first let, let's talk about well I guess maybe we should talk about what the leftovers is. Mm-hmm. It is a post-apocalyptic story. Yeah, well I'm kind of interested to hear you try and I want to hear right. what hear you try and lead into right. it with <laughs> what your expectations <laughs> so are having when not. we were first talking about it we thought like maybe we should both read the book um, but then I went on to Amazon and and like and, and, and the the book is is highly praised, right? A lot of people really liked it, just like um, the painter. Yeah, right. Um, so I went on to Amazon and I was reading the description, and the description seemed really boring to me. Like <laughs> I don't know what it was, it just did not interest me at all. So then I thought, well, maybe we'll just like approach it differently, and I and I won't read it at all. Keith will will read it, get into it, whatever. Um, but my understanding of it is that it is a post-apocalyptic, uh, you know, slash rapture s- setting where uh, people disappear out of nowhere. And the description I got from the book is they're kind of left um, trying to, not even trying to figure out what happened, but they're just left to contemplate their lives afterwards and loss maybe. Um, which is fine on its own to me, but like I said, from the description, that just seems a little like it seems a little heavy, you know. And I also, I think, like I've established in the previous things we talked about, I like having the story component of like I understand in True Detective, you're not necessarily telling me the story about these murders, and more so, you're telling me the story about these two characters. But I would also like you to. <laughs> wrap up this story nicely you know what i mean mm-hmm. um some people don't need that i think i do you know for better or worse right and i guess the one thing that got me interested 
two is what the plan for the story was, especially now that's being adapted into a into a show. Because even reading the description before I read the book, I was like, maybe this is the beginning of a series, right? Tackling this the subject book. matter, right? And the book is—it's not—it's standalone, right? Apparently, I haven't—I haven't in all that I've read, I haven't you know read anything about a sequel. The other thing too, which I love, is that after I got done reading the book, which spoiler alert, I did not like, right? The um, I read an article about how wildly they've departed from the book with oh, really? the TV show. Hmm. Yes. Which, in watching the uh, trailer, I can already tell one big difference that I'm interested to see play out. Mm-hmm. And I guess we should say up, up top as well, kind of our view about spoilers with this story and with the show. Yeah. For me... Because they are departing so wildly from the book, mm-hmm. I don't think that we're going to fall into the same spoiler traps as other shows. Right. Because apparently, I don't know what's going to happen. There there are in this extended trailer, there are beats of the story that I recognize from the book. Mm-hmm. But I think that they're, it's going to probably go a different place, especially because in the book... Nothing happens. Yeah. Nothing happens. Yeah. I don't see how they could, if they just take the book literally and string that out, they maybe could do 10 episodes and that's it. Mm -hmm. And unless Damon Lindelof only has a plan for 10 episodes, they have to start inventing stuff. Yeah. Or... We are going to see the slowest adaptation. You know, <laughs> one page could potentially be three episodes right. of content. Yeah. Yeah. And and on the subject of spoilers, I think it's safe to say that we um, will be spoiling, since the podcast will focus mainly on the show, we will be spoiling everything that has happened up to the current show that has aired. And, and and with, um, you know, spoilers in the book that may spoil something from the show, you know, I think we'll, we might be careful to avoid those, avoid, or at least talk around them or, you know, at least give some warning before I'll do my best, but yeah. I don't know. But I think that's an interest. I think that's, it, that is an interesting dilemma, especially because Damon Lindelof is handling the series, right? Like it may not be such an issue if someone else was 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 show running this, right? If but you watch Lost, that man it, knows how to dole out exactly, a yeah. plot point. Exactly. So Lindelof is known for like not delivering or oh what's the saying? Over um over promising and under delivering as, you know, exemplified by Lost, which I didn't finish watching, but you did, right? And you were really into it at the beginning. I loved it. Yeah, I loved the first two seasons, everything after that. It's kind of a slow downhill for me after that, but I don't even remember where I stopped watching. I think I stopped watching the season of like when they make did it back. Did you ever listen to their podcast? He yeah, that's the podcast with Carlton yeah, listened, Hughes. Yeah. And, and that to me is what got me. Like they were one of the first ones to kind of blow open the doors of the showrunner and the fans to me, the response after Lost is shocking because I wanted to be like, 
you guys, number one, invited this when you did this podcast. And I, as a listener of their podcast, believed what they said when I remember the episode they said, when people die on our show, they die. Yeah. Wink, wink. Yeah. Yeah, Because everyone's dead and they're in purgatory. Like, it was such a a blind kind of reaction on their part that was shocking to me. So I'm interested interested to see how Damon Lindelof responds, especially after Prometheus. Like if you follow that man's career, I do kind of feel bad for him. Oh, totally. He seems to have good ideas. Right. He seems to get railroaded a lot. And, you know, he goes off Twitter. He's back on, you know, he's really wrestling, I think, with his kind of what I guess he feels he owes to, you know, watchers, which is the J.J. Abrams problem, too, of, you know, like over-identifying with your audience right. and then delivering like super eight and being like, what <laughs> you didn't yeah. want a 15 minute explosion on, on a train. Yeah. You know? And I, I don't, so I, I I'm really interested too, which is one reason why I read the book to follow how the leftovers plays Yeah, and how Damon Lindelof responds and reacts to the reaction to this show. Yeah, and that's that's what I was gonna say, especially from listening to like I like I like Damon Lindelof a lot. Like I like you said, I think he has a lot of good ideas. It seems like he always has a lot of good ideas, and it you know, and it just like it seems like the execution always kind of falls short. Although I really enjoyed Prometheus, I understand the plot holes that all that movie has. Mm-hmm. I understand, yeah, all the problems, but I still really liked watching it. Yeah, um, and like I said, like he seems like such a great guy nice you know what i mean yeah. like the like he like i loved listening to the lost podcast i think he was on slash film once maybe and he just is yeah. like a very affable person uh, and, and he'll take hard questions he yeah doesn't, yeah he doesn't and you feel bad for all of the crap he gets on twitter and right. like how much everybody just makes fun of him right or at least you know like bad mouths the stuff that he's done which you know i i can't speak to 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 how difficult handling something like that is because I've never done it. Right. You know that I imagine that's incredibly difficult to create a satisfying TV series for six or seven seasons, however long lost was with all of the ideas that they had at the beginning. Um, But I think that's, that's what has me most interested for the leftovers is because Damon Lindelof is working on it. And because like I said, the, the, the premise of it just sounds boring to me. And so kind of what I'm expecting is I I guess maybe I'm expecting like an entire series of like 2012 um, rust Cole from true detective. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like really dour, super right. philosophical, right. like, um, What's the word I'm thinking? I can't think of the word, but that's more or less what I'm expecting. Maybe just like really like introverted character, introspective characters. Like other than that, I don't really know. Like I, I, I would imagine, and I think because Lindelof is working on it, I would imagine they're going to be tackling like what happened. But at the same time, I, I don't see how they could, like you said, that nothing happens in the book. I don't see how they could do a series, a multi-season series, without addressing this question of what happened. And I guess that's one thing that I'm interested to are your expectations. And I almost feel like 
for you, we kind of have to wait for the first episode to happen. Yeah. Because I feel like right now your perspective and your expectations could be anything from a lost type show to something like you said that is like true detective minus the murder. You know, just yeah. this super dour, you know, atmosphere. Yeah. And people living in it. Um, so I don't know if, I guess I'd, I'd be interested for some, I guess we got some of that, like what your expectations are for the show, mm -hmm. but even without you knowing anything, I, I, I think I'd be more interested to hear that after you watch the first yeah. episode to see what you thought worked and, and what didn't for you. But you know, the book, I think for me, I think we're just talking about general, mm -hmm. right? Gen generalities. You know, for me, the book has interesting ideas, but I think it's overwhelmed by this overall overarching idea mm -hmm. of, you know, human uh, relationships and foibles mm -hmm. being present even in the most dire of circumstances. Yeah. And to me, that's not a profound kind of perspective. Yeah. You know, like two couples who are fighting and not don't have good marriage after a rapture like event, their marriage may right. not get better. Right. And it's like, yeah, it might yeah, not. Of course. You know, of course, you know, yeah. or kids might still bicker or there yeah. might still be, you know, it, it, and, and it might enhance all the negativity in, in people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, okay, I feel like you need to bring something else to the table. And what you could bring else to the table are kind of plot points, right? Yeah. So some shocking movements in the story or some enlightening characters or something. And I just think he fills the story with stereotypes or with underexplored and developed themes and ideas. Yeah. So by the time that the book gets going, he gets overwhelmed with what he wants to say. You know, and it's like the ending, he makes his statement with how he ends his book. And you're just left like, geez, all right, thanks. Thanks for that. Like, yeah. what am I supposed to be left with? And it really was a book that frustrated me. Maybe I just didn't get it and I'm totally open to anybody. The one thing that I love about um, book readers too is I feel like they're some of the most passionate fan base people mm -hmm. you'll find, but some of the hardest to actually get to start a dialogue about something. Mm -hmm. You know, so on Goodreads, I posted a review and tried to interact with some people, and like nobody's interested. <laughs> <laughs> but book readers are supposed to be the most passionate fans, yeah. you know. And I'm like, I can't gin anybody up to either defend this book or anything to me. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe I'm missing something. I really don't think I am. And it it's kind of expected that Damon Lindelof would have to punch up the story. Yeah. So I'm interested to see where the departures are. Yeah, and I feel like that's probably where the the if there if it's there, which I'm almost sure that it is. But the exploration of like what actually happened, I feel like that's we'll probably why Damon Lindelof is a part of this. Yeah, yep. And it and I guess you know, and maybe wrapping up, it's it's interesting 
<clears throat> so I guess this is a plug for our other feed yeah. that we're going to start. But also, I guess I would say was interesting me and maybe why you should watch it is The Leftovers does have an interesting perspective. When you hear The Rapture, you do think left behind, right? You think of black and white. You think right. of good people gone, bad people left. And the interesting premise in this show is like 2% of the population disappear. But 2%? 2%. Yeah. seem like a lot. If I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what's 2% of where are we at now? 8 billion? Mm -hmm. 7 billion? Probably yeah. 7 something. So it's in the millions, you know, millions of people. But even so. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a lot to me. Well, millions of people have, have uh, left. I'm sure there are some dense populations right. where people are like, who's gone? Right. <laughs> <laughs> they have no yeah. idea. And they're, just, they're still operating the same. But this little community that they focus on is pretty savaged by it. Yeah. And so what, what interests me is uh, people's response to that, specifically like, you know, religious people, you know, there's a, uh, a pastor, a priest who isn't taken, who mm -hmm. then devotes him, his life to uncovering the dark secrets of the people who have been taken. Mm -hmm. So not only is he, you know, attacking those who are gone, desecrating their memory, but he is actively harming the people who are still left. Yeah. And, but it's out of this protection of his religious belief. That I find to be right. pretty interesting. And then have you, having avoided all marketing, have you heard of the Guilty Remnant? I, you know what, I... The marketing um, in New York, they have... No, I saw the... What was I looking at? I was looking at... I think I was just... I think I may have been... I, had, I was... Um, I had subscribed to the subreddit for The Leftovers mm. just to... As preparation, yeah, I should do that. And one of the things I saw was someone had posted their po a link to their podcast about the show, and it was called The Guilty Remnant. Oh, okay. so that's the only way I've heard of it. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, there's a marketing, there's a, there's a group of people, and and they're actually trying to do marketing from The Guilty Remnant showing up in New York. Yeah, which uh, when I see that, all I can think about is like, is that person an actor? Like, is this? Like, mom, I'm moving to New York. I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> and now they're standing outside and, and they're acting. Right. They're basically playing that role of like the kid in high school who was chosen to go around and pick people on like death day or like don't drink and drive day. Right. And then they had to pick other kids in your school to like be dead for the day. Right. Did your school do that? Yes. Yeah. That's basically like they're glorified high school students. High school students. But exactly. you know, I'm, you know, I shouldn't, I'm not trying to badmouth them. They're doing what they need to do. They're doing what they need to do. They're standing, but that's, that is all I can really think of. Um, that yeah. viral marketing doesn't really work. I just get embarrassed. But yeah. hey, what do I know? Maybe they're making, maybe they're union and they're making. Yeah, there you go. 30 bucks an maybe hour. They're doing better. There. They're probably making more money than I am. Hey, they're living in New York, right? <laughs> they, that's very true. Yeah. So that's they got to be doing small something. Feet. Right. So yeah, I guess I'm interested in in the in the show's portrayal of this guilty remnant um, idea that's in the book. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, that that does um, grab my attention. Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, subplot. So I think if you're if you're interested in you know I think this this show by no means is like a religious story. I don't think primarily. 
But I think it is going to have elements of that. I think if yeah. you're if you're interested in you know a, a much broader look at maybe religious identity in America that I'm hoping for that the book I think lacked a little bit of. Um, and Damon Lindelof is kind of. A, you know, attacked those things in Lost as well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, th- I think if you're interested in those themes, I think that might be present. Um, and I'm probably expecting a very dour drama. I wouldn't yeah. be expecting like a Red Wedding episode happening in this show. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so my recommendation, even after reading the book, which I didn't like, is to check out the show. It's, it's getting rave reviews. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and then listen to our podcast. Hopefully, you know, we'll have something to say about it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I'll, I'll close with. Um, the reason that we're starting the everything left over podcast. And the reason we do this podcast is because we want, you know, we sort of felt like there is a lack of this type of discussion. Um, and we want that interaction with people right we want to we want our ideas to be challenged we want to be able to challenge ideas we want to sort of have different people to bounce things off of you know so you know there's not there's not a lot of people out there who's who are really going into depth on enemy or on you know just different things that we try and talk about and so that's kind of the purpose of this show and it's going to be the purpose of uh, everything left over. So, um, you know, we want your feedback. We want to know what you think. Like I said, we'll more than likely both of us be on Reddit reading different people's ideas or theories about the show or what they think of it. Um, so if you want to, you know, maybe correct any misconceptions that we have about the show at this point, or just share what you're expecting from the show, you can uh, you can go to our website, which is brownbluewhite.com, leave a comment there, or you can email either of us, which is, um, you can email me at justin at brownbluewhite or keith at keith at brownbluewhite, or, you know, Facebook. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's something that, that we want. We want to have different, uh, perspectives on the show. We want to have different opinions than our own. Or scream into the night air. <laughs> see if that reaches us. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can just sit on your couch and be a grump and not talk to anybody. And mutter to yourself about it. <laughs> and go fill out your own uh, little reaction online and not engage anybody else with it. Yeah. So... Uh, you know that that's we'll that's what we'll leave the leftovers with. Like I said, we'll be doing a weekly show on the leftovers. It'll be out sometime before the next show, uh, but that'll be out every week. And I think we'll continue to try at least and do this show in the meantime. Um, Give maybe a shorter version. Yeah, it'll be that, that would be a lot of talking for us. So. We'll see how it goes. But like I said, we'll definitely have a, a episode out every week for The Leftovers, which would be, I guess, for the next 10 weeks, right? You said it was 10 episodes? I, I, I mean, I think so. That, that's usually yeah. HBO's that's right. MO, right, 10? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that. That's The Leftovers. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back with our thoughts on that.
both listened to something um, that was talking about uh, is her her name's Patricia Lockwood, right? Yeah, Patricia. Yeah, so. um, she's a she's a poet, and she's she's one of these people that's like Twitter famous, right? And I think the comparison we were making was to like Rob Delaney, who's also like this stand-up comedian who first got his break on Twitter, just making dirty jokes on Twitter, more or less, right? Yeah. Um, but that led to the question and sort of the idea of like, what is Twitter for? Like, how do people use it? Um, and monetize it. Monetize it. Like, is it a legitimate place to be creative, kind of? Like, is it, like, is it, is it, can you legitimately say like Twitter is my creative space, space, the way I express myself creatively? Um, I think it's an interesting question, especially as somebody who's working on his second Twitter novel. Yeah. I just, today was the last day as a matter of fact. Um, so I guess I'll start from there, but yeah, the, well, you know, I, I, I would say not just Twitter, but pretty much, Every single thing I post on Twitter or Facebook is like a joke, like like nothing about it is serious, like everything is a joke. And I would say most of the time it just is like something like maybe a concept that I have found to be funny or like making fun of myself. Um, but. I, I don't know if I was bored with the medium of Twitter, but I started off a few weeks ago with this idea. And I my first story, I think the first short was about, um, I just thought it would be a funny idea if like you had somebody in the future doing research about like... <laughs> The, the collapse of a society right. and all of that research led back to something along the lines of like Tumblr. And for me, Tumblr is an easy target because there's a subreddit called Tumblr in action. And it just, they just, the people just post like all of the terrible, terrible things that are on Tumblr, like terrible in the sense of like, like, like hardcore feminists just being like really ignorant, stuff like that. Or, you know, the opposite of that, like, like whatever the opposite of a feminist is being really belligerent towards women or whatever. And it's just as like, you see this stuff and it's just as like, how, like how does this person exist? You know what I mean? But for me that has sort of led to this, to a really negative opinion of Tumblr. So anyways, it started off as like, I was trying to do it in like one or two tweets. Right. But then I realized I wasn't going to be able to do it. And then I thought, well, maybe what if I like, blow this up into something bigger and um and i i really also the one thing i do like about uh, about uh twitter is the ability to like um you can sort of uh you can really isolate your punchline you know what i mean so like Mm -hmm. the one thing that i did with with the two stories is like the very last tweet is like a is more or less a punchline and it's more or less like a reversal of everything before it. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I tried to make everything before it seem pretty, if not serious, just like straightforward. You know what I mean? There's nothing that satirical, satirical in anything else until you read the very last tweet. Right. 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 Um, so that's why I like it. With that being said, uh, 
you know, there's things about, I didn't post those like myself every single day. I just used like an automated, like I typed the whole thing out as and then, one and then I sent them on a schedule. Right. Um, and looking back at it, you know, of course there's always things you want to change and say differently or like you see like a grammatical error or whatever. But I could never like, like for me, the stuff I post on Twitter for the most part is like completely like, Absurd, absurd. Or, yeah, um, for the most part, I think it. I think the only like really unifying theme you could find on my Twitter that pops up more than once is, um, th- how cheap grape jelly is. <laughs> which <laughs> I don't know why I come back to that, but it just always for some reason the grape jelly is like really cheap, and it always catches me off guard how cheap it is. But that's for me. That's that's all that Twitter is. It just is like. A place for like these completely absurd thoughts or just like observation observation or just like a joke. Well, somebody was saying one thing that was interesting about that, um, that Lockwood discussion uh, on the Slate Gab Fest was the critique that people feel like she is harming her own poetry by focusing on Twitter. Right. And I think one of the criticisms they brought up is that it does accentuate the punchline that Twitter mm-hmm. is best used when it does that, but right. you know, yeah. and that, uh, <clears throat> you know, that hi hat hit is like resonates out. Mm-hmm. I, I also am interested in how people get Twitter famous, you know? Yeah. Like, is it just the fact the amount of posts, like, one of the the um, panelists on the Slate Gab Fest talked about not following her because of her her tweets were so dense. Yeah, and I counted up like just in the last twenty four hours at the beginning of our recording, she posted like nine or ten. You know, some of those were, were responses to people. Yeah, but I'm like, you know, is is part of the appeal? the amount of content and then i'm also amazed and this goes back to another one of our favorite shows radio shows that is no longer on um the best show yeah uh on there tom sharpling the um host would always make fun of his ap mike Mm -hmm. because mike would basically like follow back Whoever followed him. And he, yeah, had, he, he had the same amount of tweets and followers and following. And it was all like 6,000. <laughs> and Tom Sharpling was right, rightfully like making yeah, fun of him. Right. Because it's like my Twitter feed, I don't follow nearly that many people. Right. My Twitter feed is like overwhelmed. And so I also wonder like the people who are following like Lockwood or, you know, Rob Delaney, like mm-hmm. how many of their tweets are they actually getting, right. you know? And there's no way to quantify how many are actually reaching uh, unless you do like the, the retweets mm-hmm. or whatever. But that to me is interesting in the sense of if somebody's using Twitter as their medium, you know, like what is a successful tweet? You know, like what's yeah. it? And, and apparently I think Lockwood will premiere poems on Twitter. Right. And so, I mean, you know, is the fact that she wrote it and posted the success of it. Yeah. I, 
I, I think for me, the problem is that it seems it's such an insignificant. It's not just it, it. First of all, to me, it is an insignificant medium. It's an insignificant platform. Not in that, you know, you're reaching millions of people, of course. But like I've got almost a thousand tweets. You know what I mean? And I or anybody else is never going to go back and read all of those. Never. You know what I mean? And so like even if she premieres some sort of new work even on just like a pragmatic level in a year or two years there's no easy way to go to her timeline and like search Search. for that poem that she premiered on twitter and i I think i think she's written three books of poetry yeah i think that they've there may be compilations i actually did did a tweet early on when i was tweeting and you know i was like it was something like i can't wait for somebody to turn my tweets into the coffee table book that they deserve to be or and it's in my worked into like what I do on social media. I also kind of do for my son Mm -hmm. with the idea that no one is going to, you're right. Nobody's going to read back on these things. Maybe our children will like I have one fan in this world. Indy thinks I'm the greatest thing ever. You know, I just wonder like, how would you feel if you know you had a history of your dad's thoughts like through his 20s and 30s a right. little bit but would you read those and treasure those or would you be like this is like an overwhelming burden for i me mean that's the thing by the time with? indiana is old enough to be using twitter if twitter's still around like it's it's and you know there's always those um you know this american life stories or whatever of like you know, my dad recorded right. himself talking into a, a tape recorder. Or every mother day wrote for notes year, for years. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, to be delivered and, to her daughter. For you know, years. it's interesting. I never had, you know, that close of a relationship with my dad. You know what I mean? Like my dad was 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 fine. You know, he wasn't a bad guy, but just for whatever reason, we weren't that close. Now, you know, I have a completely different relationship with my daughters, and I imagine <laughs> I imagine maybe they would be interested in those thoughts, you know, 10 or 15 years down the road. But even then, like, so let's say they're interested and they have enough gumption to go on to my old Twitter account or whatever, and then they spend, like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes reading like some weird joke about like why grape jelly is so cheap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is that kind of great though? I mean, I it- guess, but at the same time, like, does that, I don't know how much it reveals. Like that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like the stuff I post on Facebook or Twitter, none of it is personal. Like none of it is, I don't feel at least like any of it is revealing to my character. I just feel like for the most part, they're jokes or concepts that I find funny that I can, you know, that I'm posting on Twitter, you know, and I'm, I don't post them to Facebook because I'm not necessarily looking for feedback. I'm just, I just think they're funny. And I kind of want to explore this funny idea. You know what I mean? And I don't know how, I mean, I have no problem with that. I think that's a fine way to use Twitter. Obviously, that's why I do it. Right. But at the same time, there's other people that like, like there's a lot of people whose Twitter you go on to and they've been on Twitter for years 
and ev- literally every single thing they've posted is like a reply to a celebrity. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, what is that mindset? Like, yeah, uh, that that seems to be like people craving interaction right. with the with with celebrity. That celebrity will attract that like you know magnetic pull of I must engage or oh my gosh I can engage, mm-hmm. and some people seem proud to just think that somebody's read what they wrote they don't even want a response or reply yeah my, my thing too is like how do you get like um that poet had a a poem go viral which right. to me is such a weird combination of like terminology that you think of viral videos or whatever that a poem can go viral via Twitter. Yeah. And I don't remember the poem itself, but it's called rape joke. Right. I do remember the discussion about it. I don't, I'm I'm sure I read it, but it was years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it wasn't just like a Twitter poem. It was like a poem that she wrote. Yeah. But it probably went viral because she linked to it on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, I think she doled it out on Twitter oh, okay. too. Yeah. yeah, at some point, I know that it was compiled as like a like a full poem. Yeah, but it was a poem about rape culture, and you know, it's supposed to be and her own rape apparently. Right, too. it's right. supposed to be like submersive, subversive. Sub- Did you say submersive? Yeah, subversive. That's what I was thinking of. But um, I, I that but I mean, I guess that gets collected. I mean, I guess. To, I guess to to my point, it does get archived, right? Because right. it got popular, and I'm sure it's was posted as a whole somewhere. And now that woman, Patricia Lockwood, is famous for that, right? right. And and it ups her her Twitter profile and yeah. perpetuates this new kind of. And you know, she is getting credit for I think, and they they were also talking about a. a manifesto that was Mm -hmm. apparently written by a poet who's like we must you know dot 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 Mm -hmm. and and does poetry need to come out into like the the sunlight of culture again Mm -hmm. or is it okay being tucked away and having it's having its niche i just feel like you know twitter you can make it what you want to make of it but i feel like you know in terms of of using it as a community creator is kind of a false like yeah promise of twitter number one because following 70 people is already too much yeah you know yeah that's what i gonna say i follow like so, 40 something and it's right. just like i couldn't imagine following any more it's just like this is already like I log in and I've missed like 50. Exactly. And then I feel like, oh, I got to read all of these. Yeah, I, I got to go back over these. Yeah. And some of them are meaningless. Yeah. And some of them are conversations that other people are having. Like, it's just another format for people to, you know, um, perpetuate their subculture. But is it really breaking down walls or is it really changing the face of whatever it is? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see, like Lockwood is still releasing books. You know, yeah. her poetry is still being compiled in the books. Right. Rob Delaney, his tweets got wrapped up into a board game. You know, yeah. I mean, to me, these aren't like huge shifts in movement of like our culture. And when the Syrian revolution was going on too, I feel like Twitter was at the forefront because it was being used to like create rendezvous right. points and stuff. Yeah. 
I feel like Twitter's trying to take a lot of credit for it. But I mean, that kind of using a, a method to pass, you know, coded messages goes back millennia. You know, Twitter is just another vessel, but does that mean that it's inherently good? You know, like, would they not have found another way to communicate? Yeah. You know, if Twitter right. hadn't existed? I don't think so. I, to me, Twitter is just a way for you to kind of archive your perspective, you know, and largely I use it for the same purposes as you do. It's absurdist, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's the best thing. I, I don't have any idea. And I wonder if, you know, these people who Rob Delaney or other comedians and stuff, when they do a tweet, are they calculating? And I know that a lot of people are, you know, yeah. are they calculative in what they do. Or are they just trying to represent who they are with the idea that like, you know, this will go and get me even more famous just because I'm me. Yeah, I, and that's what I was going to say. I think it's largely just self-promotion. That's all it is. It just is a way to get more attention for yourself because it's not. It's a terrible place for any sort of conversation. Like, yeah. It just is horrible. Yeah. Um, Especially because, you know, what they can show. Like, I love conversations that you want to follow. And if it's, like, four posts, it'll just be, like, three replies in between this one and this one. And then you hit that and it cascades open, you yeah. know, and then there are the random people who are trying to jump into the conversation because it does create that false promise. And I had an idea when I first started my Twitter, like I wanted to reach out to all the celebrities mm-hmm. or anyone who is a name minor or major. And I wanted to keep a record of my tweets that got no response, you know, just right. so that I could like, <laughs> you know, look back on them too and be like, I said this thing to Brad Pitt. Uh He had nothing to say to that, you (laughs) know, or like, this is what I said to my local film critic. He had nothing to say to that, you know, and just kind of log the failure of community building on Twitter, which I think is a funny idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that too speaks to a larger or not maybe larger, but a different idea of, that I think Facebook probably represents more of like it kind of is what you make it to be. You know what I mean? Like, like, um, like Colin Quinn on Twitter, right? Like he gets probably 50 to a hundred replies to every single thing he tweets. And that's the joke, right? (laughs) Um, but he only retweets at this point. He only retweets like, the same five people every time. Right. You know what I mean? And it's a lot of like, it just, it, it is what you want people to think your life is more or less. You know what I mean? And that's his joke. Yeah. Right. Like his joke right. is like, this is my life. Right. And it's not his life, right. but it's, it's how he is presenting it. And right. then it's everybody calling him out on how, yeah, just kind that's of not his life. On him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I I think that that's a brilliant way to use it. You yeah. know, I think that is that's one of my favorite usages of it. Um but yeah, what gets me is this kind of false sense of of connection that I'm sure people are reading a lot of the tweets, but I don't get a lot of, you know, reactions like even if I ask questions, you know. Oh yeah, there's like, no feedback yeah, at all. Like really. I think this is a good question. I'm I'm curious about this thing. It's like Nope. Yeah. 
And and a lot of times for me, it's like, well, I didn't want to interrupt any any when I was putting the when I was trying to put do the stories, I didn't want to interrupt that at all. So that was the thing. Like for <laughs> a good three weeks, it's I couldn't post your... anything to Twitter at all, <laughs> regardless, because I didn't want to interrupt these stories. But like a lot of times, I don't. I guess it's just my personality. Like I just don't want. I want, for the most part, everything in my timeline to just be like more or less like standalone thoughts or like three or four standalone. Th- I don't just want like this sort of rogue like reply to somebody <laughs> about something. Derailing it. Yeah, right. You know yeah. what I mean? So I just don't reply to people. Or I do and then I'll like go back through and delete, delete. it a few weeks later, <laughs> which I do a lot on everything. I know there are some things I respond to you on and it's like, this has been deleted. And I'm like, yeah, oh. yeah that's, I, I, I probably, I probably delete upwards of 75% of the things <laughs> I post. Um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, that's sort of our thoughts on Twitter, I guess. Yeah. So how do you use Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Let Bill. us know. Um, <laughs> not on Twitter though, because we probably won't respond to you. <laughs> hey, I'll respond. I respond. Yeah. I may, I, yeah, I may respond. I don't, I don't get really quick side note and you can edit this out. What is up with the, I follow back thing? Like it's just, is that just people trying shameless, to get followers. Yeah. Shameless ploy to like, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's saying like, will not care what you say. Like, right. you know, I'm following 10,000 people. Don't expect me to. Right read one and that's the thing some people just want to get to a number of followers so that's all they use it for i'm all about quality my 20 followers that's exactly that's exactly right that's why i only have 40 some followers i don't know where i'm at now with my followers i need to check i'm at 40 something and i just looked at it today and i can't remember let me see um what this person's username was real quick you got a new one no, but I was looking at them for something, and then I noticed that someone was following me who is just called Foliage. <laughs> Foliage? <laughs> yeah. That's a good one to have following you. Yeah. I think there's only one person that they actually care about that I, I keep waiting for them to unfollow me mm-hmm. because it's been a while of, like, kind of no interaction. And I'm like, the day that they unfollow me, that's that's going to hurt. But, uh Yeah. Yeah, and it turns out that Foliage is just like a musician. But I was hoping it was like one of those joke accounts. Like it was I hope I was hoping it was just a joke account for like Foliage. You know what I mean? Right. Like and I think that's what Twitter that's what I like Twitter. That's what I think I like most about Twitter. I use Twitter for two things. One of them is news. I get pretty much all my news through Twitter. And the other one is like these novelty joke accounts. Like, you know, the bird activist or whatever it's called. Bird rights actually. Yeah. yeah, but I or like um, the carrot facts one. Just like I, I find that to be the funniest and the best use of Twitter. Just like these really sort of bizarre left field like novelty accounts where you're speaking in one voice the whole time. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm followed by Surrey Fine Arts, uh-huh. which I guess is the town of Surrey. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty proud of that one. I don't yeah. know what won them yeah. over. Yeah. But. Uh, It'd be, uh, you should, uh, maybe you should um, follow them back and then like direct message them and say like, why did you, how many, how many people are they following? Um, a thousand. Yeah. See, that's why they're just trying to get 
I don't know, man. Surrey Fine Arts. I, they, I, I would think that they'd be a little more. How many people are following them? Discreet. Intentional. Yeah, they're following 1,900. They have 603 <laughs> yeah. followers. Yeah. I'm going to go back. I hate to break it to you, but that is just a, that's just a, I follow back or whatever. Their last tweet was uh, almost exactly a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want to go back through my list and just be like, challenge everyone following me yeah why are you following me leave me alone <laughs> yeah that's not a bad idea let's see how low i can get my followers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we should go opposite ways we should do like six months we'll see how high you can get yours and yeah. i'll see if i can get even people close to me to unfollow me just by not telling them what i want to do but just by being kind of belligerent okay that means i'm gonna have to be like hashtagging like one direction and all this stuff and dude and just then you have to go my numbers. And after six months, you have a lot to go back and delete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we will come back with a uh, discussion on last show's recommendations. Last show, I recommended the podcast Song Exploder for Keith. And um, did you listen to any of the episodes? I did. I actually listened to most of them. Really? Yes. Um, first, let me say production value is amazing. Right. The editing on it is yeah, it's really good. wonderful. Um, his interviews are really good. Um, I can say initial impressions, the Polisa episode, that guy's voice is like impossible mm-hmm. when he started. Did you listen to the police interview? No, I did not. Okay. You should listen to a police interview. Like, it's funny how he sets it up to, he's like, this guy does not perform with them live. He just, um, produces their music mm-hmm. and, you know, I guess maybe performs for their studio stuff. Yeah. Um, and then when he starts speaking, he sounds like a computer mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, is this a computer or is this like some crazy shut in, you know, yeah. like I imagine like he could be like a 900 pound man. Yeah. Like just laying on his bed. Um, speaking of going back to Twitter really quick. I saw this um, Twitter account I follow for science tweeted an x-ray of a 900 of a x-ray of a 900 pound man mm-hmm. whose skeleton looks like oh i saw that picture terrifying mm-hmm. anyway um so yeah the, the police episode i can recommend for the guy's voice mm-hmm. i love um the combination of these guys talking seriously about their music while also holding to the idea of like like that police guy is just like yeah, so I use this pedal and blah, 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 mm-hmm. do all this stuff. At the end, he's like, basically, we just follow the fun meter, you know, wherever it goes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, so that's yeah. a real rich and careful <laughs> alchemy you do. <laughs> or he's like, so basically, it's just me, you know, playing with the synth and uh, getting drunk in my room, you know? And yeah. you're like, okay, great. 
Um, so I love that kind of juxtaposition. I, I love the, you know, I love Bob's Burgers. So I listened to the Bob's Burgers. Yeah, I heard that one was really theme. good. It is. It is. It's, it's, and it's basically the showrunner just being really honest. Yeah. And you can tell being really excited to talk about it and yeah. really, really proud of what he did. And hey, if I recorded 30 seconds of music that was used in anything, I'd be proud of it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that was good. I listened to the, um, Converge, mm-hmm. um, episode, which, again held that balance of funny like so this is what we did and right. then be like uh so he just kind of yelled and you know, yeah like it's it's just a perfect juxtaposition yeah. of real explanation and kind of shrugging <laughs> right yeah yeah um yeah what i found most interesting about it for me is it's just as it's just as a really interesting concept, first of all, or it's just as a really great idea, right? It is. It's a and great idea. I think hearing for me anybody sort of take apart something yes. they do piece by piece and explaining why they do it is interesting. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I have not been able to escape on every single show I've listened to, episode that I've listened to, is whenever they play isolated vocal tracks. It makes me so uncomfortable, uncomfortable, right? It just is like, it's it's like interesting, but at the same time, it's just like I should not be hearing this right, right. now, right? And right. It is so weird and like, oh, it just is really like, it gives me like the heebies, is what my wife calls them. But right. It just is like very uncomfortable, um, but it's really good, yeah. So I'm I'm glad you liked it. What's well, and really quick to end this, I was I was interested. If, is there a song that you would like to hear exploded? uh on the podcast like if you could pick one i have one that i think you would uh hate and make fun of me for uh-huh. but What's honestly that? it's it's a song that i'm obsessed with right now uh-huh. and um it's by a girl named sky ferrera uh-huh. ferrara and she has a song called uh heavy metal heart mm-hmm. um that song has a kick drum uh, that sounds straight from a heavy metal song. Mm-hmm. Like it is perfect. The way that she co-ops that into a pop song, mm-hmm. I can't. I can't get over. I literally can't get over it. It mm-hmm. blows my mind, and I will listen to it like every single day. I've listened to it. Yeah. Going to work, at work, <laughs> coming home from work. Uh-huh. I- I'll just listen to it, and every time I'm like. How is she taking these industrial elements, this kick drum, like hardcore bass line, and then, you know, heavy metal heart. Like mm-hmm. she's obviously playing with the whole idea, the wordplay of it, you know, yeah. of heavy metal. I would love to hear him deconstruct that and hear them talk about if they put as much thought as I think they did into it. Because it's such a well-constructed song. Mm-hmm. I can't get over it. I'd love to hear them deconstruct that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I th- I would like to. I was looking through uh, my music really quickly, and I would like to hear uh, Tom Petty. Yeah, I, would, I feel like Tom Petty's music is probably pretty straightforward. Right, <laughs> not too many questions I have about that. <laughs> um, I would like to hear probably any Bill Callahan song. Oh yeah, I was I listened to Apocalypse the other day. Yeah, but specifically, there. I'd like to hear Baby's Breath from Apocalypse. Yeah, just because of the the lyrical content for me is a little ambiguous. You know, I have some ideas of what I think it means, but I would like it if he went into it a little bit. 
Um, but really, I think anything by Bill Callahan, I would be really interested. And the way the guy says his name on the podcast is also really amazing. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a real name. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so good. That's Song Exploder. Um, and you are holding a book. Yes. For me. So something that I, I've been toying around with um, recommending to you uh, is like a short story right. that I really love. Um, but I made the mistake of recommending one of my favorite short stories to you uh-huh. just personally. And you read it. And uh, so, oh, which was the swimmer, right? The swimmer by yeah. John Cheever, uh-huh. which I love. Yeah, it's good. Um, and so I was looking for another one and then I actually stumbled upon this book. It's called the spoon river anthology by mm-hmm. Edgar Lee masters. Mm-hmm. This ties into another obsession of mine right now, which is a podcast called, um, Welcome to Night Vale. Right. Which has just been ridiculous lately. Mm-hmm. Is amazing. Um, and what Spoon River, and it's really interesting the way that I got this book was basically this random guy who I didn't know gave me like his copy. Like right. he ran to his car, he handed it to me. It's this one, it's like falling apart. Mm-hmm. He actually dog eared the pages that meant most to him and basically what this is is it's an anthology a collection it's almost poetry but it's not really Mm -hmm. and each one of the chapters and as you can see like each uh entry is like one page Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a paragraph Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's poetry sometimes it's a story or Mm -hmm. whatever but each chapter is a person who lives in Spoon River. Okay. A character. And this guy compiled a whole anthology of um, short little bits of each of these characters that when put together tells a whole complete history mm-hmm. of Spoon River. Yeah. And um, I think it's a really interesting project that he did way, way before people I think were you know like welcome to night Vale, which is again another anthology a collection of these short stories and stuff right um so i i basically i want you to uh read um the names or read the names and the stories of the dog-eared pages uh-huh. which i think there's only like four so it's like eight total but then also to kind of pick and choose um based on the names maybe mm. there's some really good ones. Um, and then I thought maybe we could get back together uh, next time we record and you could kind of read maybe like your favorite one or sure. let me know what you think about what Edgar Lee masters did. And if you think it's successful, okay, it's a pretty big book. You, you, you don't have to read it all, but I was like, you know, maybe if you got like 15 in or something like yeah. that. That'd be enough. Yeah. So 15 minimum. Right. 15 <laughs> uh-huh. uh, people's stories uh-huh. uh, from the Spoon River Anthology. Okay. Will do. Had you ever heard of it too, by the no. way? Th- that's the other thing too. Like this book came out of nowhere. This guy loved it so much. He ran to his car and I was like, I have to. Has you Edgar know. Lee Masters written anything else? I kind of looked him up. I looked him up when he gave, of course, like I became kind of minorly obsessed with this mm-hmm. because who who does that 
who right. just gives a stranger a book, you know? And we weren't really talking about it. We were talking a little bit about books, you know, and he just ran and gave that to mm-hmm. me. So anyway, um, I thought it, it came to me in an interesting way. So I thought I'd, yeah. I'd pay it forward. Yeah. Well, I'll check it out. Um, so that's the show for this week. Uh, the music, as always, is uh, provided by Johnny Hawaii and Waylon Thornton. And uh, like I said earlier, we will be posting this uh, as a regular episode and as an episode for Everything Leftover. And if you are interested in Everything Leftover, be sure to subscribe to that podcast. Um, And if you have any questions, suggestions, email us uh, at justin at brownbluewhite.com or keith at brownbluewhite.com. You know, leave a review please (laughs) or you know any feedback would be appreciated um you can find me tell us how much you hate my voice yeah yeah sure because i do i'd leave that comment yeah yeah no i would leave the comment for my voice as well i think that's a very let's go do that sure um you can find me on twitter i am at blizzard with nine z's uh keith I'm at things come right. I'm debating nine S's <laughs> after things. But. Yeah. Well, it's only you've got a 15 character limit, so. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, and you can find everything else we do at brownbluewhite.com, including you know all of our podcasts, this podcast, the other podcasts we do, any writing that we may be doing in the future. Um, so thanks for listening, and until next time. Stay warm. Stay warm. (laughs) We'll think of something different eventually. (laughs)